The Skull by Philip K. Dick. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dale Grothman. Conger agreed to kill a stranger he had never seen. But he would make no mistakes because he had the stranger's skull under his arm. The Skull by Philip K. Dick. What is this opportunity? Conger asked. Go on. I'm interested. The room was silent. All faces were fixed on Conger, still in a drab prison uniform. The speaker leaned forward slowly. Before you went to prison, your trading business was paying well, all illegal, all very profitable. Now you have nothing except the prospect of another six years in a cell. Conger scowled. There is a certain situation, very important to this council, that requires your peculiar abilities. Also, it is a situation you might find interesting. You were a hunter, were you not? You've done a great deal of trapping, hiding in the bushes, waiting at night for game. I imagine hunting must be a source of satisfaction to you. The chase, the stalking. Congress sighed his lips twisted all right he said leave that out get to the point who do you want me to kill the speaker smiled all in proper sequence he said softly the car slid to a stop it was night there was no light anywhere along the street Cogger looked out where are we what is this place the hand of the guard pressed onto his arm Come, through that door. Conger stepped down onto the damp sidewalk. The guard came swiftly after him, and then the speaker. Conger took a deep breath of the cold air. He studied the dim outline of the building rising up before them. I know this place. I've seen it before, he squinted, his eyes growing accustomed to the dark. Suddenly he became alert. This is... Yes. The first church, the speaker walked toward the steps. We're expected. Expected? Here? Yes, the speaker mounted the steps. You know we're not allowed in their churches, especially with guns. He stopped. Two armed soldiers loomed up ahead, one on each side. All right, the speaker looked up at them. They nodded. The door of the church was open. Conger could see other soldiers inside, standing about, young soldiers with large eyes, gazing at the icons and holy images. I see, he said. It was necessary, the speaker said. As you know, we have been singularly unfortunate in the past in our relations with the First Church. This won't help. But it's worth it. You will see. They passed through the hall into the main chamber where the altarpiece was, and the kneeling places. The speaker scarcely glanced at the altar as they passed by. He pushed open a small door and beckoned Conger through. In here, we have to hurry. The faithful will be flocking in soon. Conger entered, blinking. They were in a small chamber, low-ceilinged, with dark panels of old wood. There was a smell of ashes and smoldering spices in the room. He sniffed. What's that? The smell? Cups on the wall. I don't know, the speaker crossed impatiently to the far side. According to our information, it is hidden here by this. Conger looked around the room. He saw books and papers, holy signs and images. A strange low shiver went through him. Does my job involve anyone of the church? If it does, the speaker turned astonished. Can it be that you believe in the founder? Is it possible? A hunter? A killer? No, of course not. All their business about resignation to death, non-violence. What is it, then? Conger shrugged. I've been taught not to mix with such as these. They have strange abilities, and you can't reason with them. The speaker studied Conger thoughtfully. You have the wrong idea. It is no one here that we have in mind. 
we've found that killing them only tends to increase their numbers then why come here let's leave no we came for something important something you will need to identify your man without it you won't be able to find him a trace of a smile crossed the speaker's face we don't want you to kill the wrong person it's too important i don't make mistakes conger's chest rose listen speaker this is an unusual situation the speaker said you see the person you are after the person that we are sending you to find is known only by certain objects here they are the only traces the only means of identification without them what are they he came toward the speaker the speaker moved to one side look he said he drew a sliding wall away and showed a dark square hole in there conger squatted down staring in he frowned a skull a skeleton the man you are after has been dead two centuries the speaker said this is all that remains of him and this is all you have with which to find him for a long time conger said nothing he stared down at the bones dimly visible in the recess of the wall how could a man dead centuries be killed how could he be stalked brought down conger was a hunter a man who lived as he pleased where he pleased he had kept himself alive by trading bringing furs and pelts in from the provinces on his own ship riding at high speed slipping through the customs lines around earth he had hunted in the great mountains of the moon he had stalked through empty martian cities he had explored the speaker said soldiers take these objects and have them carried to the car don't lose any part of them the soldier went into the cupboard reaching gingerly squatting on his heels it is my hope the speaker continued softly to conger that you will demonstrate your loyalty to us now there are always ways for citizens to restore themselves to show their devotion to their society for you i think this would be a very good chance i seriously doubt that a better one will come and for your efforts there will be quite a restitution of course the two men looked at each other conger thin unkempt the speaker immaculate in his uniform i understand you conger said i mean i understand this part about the chance but how can a man who's been dead two centuries be i'll explain later the speaker said right now we have to hurry the soldier had gone out with the bones wrapped in a blanket held carefully in his arms the speaker walked to the door come they've already discovered that we've broken in here and they'll be coming at any moment they hurried down the damp steps to the waiting car a second later the driver lifted the car up into the air above the housetops the speaker settled back in the seat the first church has an interesting past he said i suppose you're familiar with it but i'd like to speak of a few points that are relevant to us it was in the twentieth century that the movement began during one of the periodic wars the movement developed rapidly feeding on the general sense of futility the realization that each war was breeding greater war with no end in sight the movement posed a simple answer to the problem without military preparations weapons there could be no war and without machinery and complex scientific technocracy there could be no weapons the movement preached that you couldn't stop war by planning for it they preached that man was losing to his machinery and science and that it was getting away from him pushing him into greater and greater wars down with society they shouted down with factories and science a few more wars and there wouldn't be much left of the world the founder was an obscure person from a small town in the american middle west we don't even know his name all we know is that one day he appeared preaching a doctrine of non-violence non-resistance no fighting no paying taxes for guns no research except for medicine live out your life quietly tending your garden staying out of public affairs mind your own business be obscure unknown poor 
Give away most of your possessions. Leave the city. At least that's what developed from what he told the people. The car dropped down and landed on a roof. The founder preached this doctrine, or the germ of it. There's no telling how much the faithful have added themselves. The local authorities picked him up at once, of course. Apparently they were convinced that he meant it. He was never released. He was put to death and his body buried secretly. It seemed that the cult was finished. The speaker smiled. Unfortunately, some of his disciples reported seeing him after the date of his death. The rumor spread. He had conquered death. He was divine. It took hold, grew. And here we are today, with the first church obstructing all social progress, destroying society, sowing the seeds of anarchy. But the wars, Congress said. What about them? The wars? Well, there were no more wars. It must be acknowledged that the elimination of war was a direct result of non-violence practiced on a general scale. But we can take a more objective view of war today. What was so terrible about it? War had a profound, selective value, perfectly in accord with the teachings of Darwin and Mendel and others. Without war, the mass of useless, incompetent mankind, without training or intelligence, is permitted to grow and expand unchecked. War acted to reduce their numbers, like storms and earthquakes and droughts. It was nature's way of eliminating the unfit. Without war, the lower elements of mankind have increased all out of proportion. They threatened the educated few, those with scientific knowledge and training, the ones equipped to direct society. They have no regard for science or a scientific society, based on reason. This movement seeks to aid and abet them. Only when scientists are in full control can the... He looked at his watch and then kicked the car door open. I'll tell you the rest as we walk. They crossed the dark roof. Doubtless you now know whom these bones belong to, who it is that we are after. He has been dead just two centuries now, this ignorant man from the Middle West, this founder. The tragedy is that the authorities of the time acted too slowly. They allowed him to speak, to get his message across. He was allowed to preach, to start his cult, and once such a thing is under way, there's no stopping it. But what if he had died before he preached? What if none of his doctrines had ever been spoken? It took only a moment for him to utter them, that we know. They say he spoke just once, just one time. Then the authorities came, taking him away. He offered no resistance. The incident was small. The speaker turned to Conger. Small, but we're reaping the consequences of it today. They went inside the building. Inside, the soldiers had already laid out the skeleton on a table. The soldiers stood around, their young faces intense. Conger went over to the table, pushing past them. He bent down, staring at the bones. So these are his remains, he murmured, the founder. The church has hidden them for two centuries. Quite so, the speaker said. And now we have them. Come along down the hall. They went across the room to the door. The speaker pushed it open. Technicians looked up. Conger saw machinery, whirring and turning, benches and retorts. In the center of the room was a gleaming crystal cage. The speaker handed a slim gun to Conger. The important thing to remember is that the skull must be saved and brought back, for comparison and proof. Aim low, at the chest. Conger weighed the gun in his hand. It feels good, he says. I know this gun. That is, I've seen them before, but I've never used one. The speaker nodded. You will be instructed on the use of the gun and the operation of the cage. You will be given all the data we have on the time and location. The exact spot is a place called Hudson's Field, about 1960, in a small community outside Denver, Colorado. And don't forget, the only means of identification you will have will be the skull. There are visible characteristics of the front teeth, especially the left incisor. Conger listened absently. He was watching two men in white carefully wrap the skull in a plastic bag. 
they tied it and carried it to the crystal cage and if i should make a mistake pick the wrong man then find the right one don't come back until you succeed in reaching this founder and you can't wait for him to start speaking that's what we must avoid you must act in advance take chances shoot as soon as you think you've found him he'll be someone unusual probably a stranger in the area apparently he wasn't known conger listened dimly do you think you have it all now the speaker asked yes i think so conger entered the crystal cage and sat down placing his hands on the wheel good luck the speaker said we'll be awaiting the outcome there's some philosophical doubt as to whether one can alter the past this should answer the question once and for all conger fingered the controls of the cage by the way the speaker said don't try to use this cage for purposes not anticipated in your job we have a constant trace on it if we want it back we can get it back good luck conger said nothing the cage was sealed and he raised his fingers and touched the wheel control he turned the wheel carefully he was still staring at the plastic bag when the room outside vanished for a long time there was nothing at all nothing beyond the crystal mesh of the cage thoughts rushed through conger's mind helter-skelter how could he know the man how could he be certain in advance what had he looked like what was his name how had he acted before he spoke would he be an ordinary person or some strange outlandish crank conger picked up the slim gun and held it against his cheek the metal of the gun was cool and smooth he practiced moving the sight it was a beautiful gun the kind of gun he could fall in love with if he had owned such a gun in the martian desert on the long nights when he had lain cramped and numbed by the cold waiting for things that moved through the darkness he put the gun down and adjusted the meter readings of the cage spiraling mist was beginning to condense and settle all at once forms wavered and fluttered around him colors sounds movements fluttered through the crystal wire he clamped the controls off and stood up he was on a ridge overlooking a small town it was high noon the air was crisp and bright a few automobiles moved along the road off in the distance were some level fields conger went to the door and stepped outside he sniffed the air then he went back into the cage he stood before the mirror over the shelf examining his features he had trimmed his beard they had not got him to cut it off and his hair was neat he was dressed in clothing of the mid-twentieth century the odd collar and coat the shoes of animal hide in his pocket was money of the times that was important nothing more was needed nothing except his ability his special cunning but he had never used it in such a way before he walked down the road toward the town the first thing he noticed were the newspapers on the stands april fifth nineteen sixty one he was not too far off he looked around him there was a filling station a garage some taverns and a ten-cent store down the street was a grocery store and some public buildings a few minutes later he mounted the stairs of the little public library passing through the doors into the warm interior the librarian looked up smiling good afternoon she said he smiled not speaking because his words would not be correct accented and strange probably he went over to the table and sat down by a heap of magazines for a moment he glanced through them then he was on his feet again he crossed the room to a wide rack against the wall his heart began to beat heavily newspapers weeks on end he took a roll of them over to the table and began to scan them quickly the print was odd and the letters strained some of the words were unfamiliar he set the newspapers aside and searched further at last he found what he wanted he carried the cherrywood gazette to the table and opened it to the first page he found what he wanted prisoner hangs self 
an unidentified man held by the county sheriff's office for suspicion of criminal syndicalism was found dead this morning by he finished the item it was vague uninforming he needed more he carried the gazette back to the racks and then after a moment's hesitation approached the librarian more he asked more papers old ones she frowned how old which papers months old and before of the gazette that's all we have what did you want what were you looking for maybe i can help you he was silent you might find older issues at the gazette office the woman said taking off her glasses why don't you try there if you'd tell me maybe i could help you he went out the gazette office was down a side street the sidewalk was broken and cracked he went inside a heater glowed in the corner of the small office a heavy-set man stood up and came slowly over to the counter what did you want mister he said old papers a month or more to buy you want to buy them yes he held out some of the money he had the man stared sure he said sure wait a minute he went quickly out of the room when he came back he was staggering under the weight of his armload his face red here are some he grunted took what i could find covers the whole year and if you want more conger carried the papers outside he sat down by the road and began to go through them what he wanted was four months back in december it was a tiny item so small that he almost missed it his hands trembled as he scanned it using the small dictionary for some of the archaic terms man arrested for unlicensed demonstration an unidentified man who refused to give his name was picked up in cooper creek by special agents of the sheriff's office according to sheriff duff it was said the man was recently noticed in this area and had been watched continually it was cooper creek december 1960 his heart pounded that was all he needed to know he stood up shaking himself stamping his feet on the cold ground the sun had moved across the sky to the very edge of the hills he smiled already he had discovered the exact time and place now he needed only go back perhaps to november to cooper creek he walked back through the main section of town past the library past the grocery store it would not be hard the hard part was over he would go there rent a room prepare to wait until the man appeared he turned the corner a woman was coming out of a doorway loaded down with packages conger stepped aside and let her pass the woman glanced at him suddenly her face turned white she stared her mouth open conger hurried on he looked back what was wrong with her the woman was still staring she had dropped her packages on the ground he increased his speed turning a second corner and went up a side street when he looked back again the woman had come to the entrance of the street and was staring after him a man joined her and the two of them began to run toward him he lost them and left the town striding quickly easily up into the hills at the edge of town when he reached the cage he stopped what had happened was it something about his clothing his dress he pondered then as the sun set he stepped into the cage conger sat before the wheel for a moment he waited his hands resting lightly on the control then he turned the wheel just a little following the control readings carefully the grayness settled down around it but not for very long the man looked him over critically you better come inside he said out of the cold thanks conger went gracefully through the open door and into the living room it was warm and close from the heat of a little kerosene heater in the corner a woman large and shapeless in her flowered dress came from the kitchen she and the man studied him critically it's a good room the woman said i am mrs appleton it's got heat you need that this time of year yes he nodded looking around you want to eat with us what 
you want to eat with us the man's brow knitted you're not a foreigner are you mister no he smiled i was born in this country quite far west though california no he hesitated in oregon what's it like up there mrs appleton asked i hear there's a lot of trees in green it's so barren here i come from chicago myself that's the midwest the man said to her you ain't no foreigner oregon isn't foreign either conger said it's part of the united states the man nodded absently he was staring at conger's clothing that's a funny suit you got on mister he said where'd you get that conger was lost he shifted uneasily it's a good suit he said maybe i better go some other place if you don't want me here they both raised their hands protestingly the woman smiled at him we just have to look out for those reds you know the government is always warning us about the reds he was puzzled the government says they're all around we're supposed to report anything strange or unusual anybody doesn't act normal like me they looked embarrassed well you don't look like a red to me the man said but we have to be careful the tribune says conger half listened it was going to be easier than he thought clearly he would know as soon as the founder appeared these people so suspicious of anything different would be buzzing and gossiping and spreading the story all he had to do was lie low and listen down at the general store perhaps or even here in mrs appleton's boarding-house can i see the room he said certainly mrs appleton went up the stairs i'll be glad to show it to you they went upstairs it was cold upstairs but not nearly as cold as outside nor as cold as nights on the martian desert for that he was grateful he walked slowly around the store looking at the cans of vegetables the frozen packages of fish and meat shining and clean in the open refrigerator counters ed davis came toward him can i help you he said the man was a little oddly dressed and had a beard ed couldn't help smiling nothing the man said in a funny voice just looking sure ed said he walked back behind the counter mrs hackett was wheeling her cart up who is he she whispered her sharp face turned her nose moving as if it were sniffing i never seen him before i don't know looks funny to me why does he wear a beard no one else wears a beard must be something the matter with him maybe he likes wearing a beard i had an uncle who wait mrs hackett stiffened didn't that what was his name the red the old one didn't he have a beard marks he had a beard ed laughed this ain't karl marks i saw a photograph of him once mrs hackett was staring at him you did sure he flushed a little what's the matter with that i'd sure like to know more about him mrs hackett said i think we ought to know more for our own good hey mister want a ride conger turned quickly dropping his hands to his belt he relaxed two young kids in a car a girl and a boy he smiled at them a ride sure conger got into the car and closed the door bill willett pushed the gas and the car roared down the highway i appreciate the ride conger said carefully i was taking a walk between towns but it was further than i thought where are you from laura hunter asked she was pretty small and dark in her yellow sweater and blue skirt from cooper creek cooper creek bill said he frowned that's funny i don't remember seeing you before why do you come from there i was born there i know everybody there i just moved in from oregon from oregon i didn't know oregon people had accents do i have an accent you use funny words how i don't know doesn't he laura you slur them laura said smiling talk some more i'm interested in dialects she glanced at him white teeth 
Conger felt his heart constrict. I have a speech impediment. Oh, her eyes widened. I'm sorry. They looked at him curiously as the car purred along. Conger, for his part, was struggling to find some way to ask them questions without seeming curious. I guess people from out of town don't come here much, he said. Strangers? No, Bill shook his head. Not very much. I'll bet I'm the first outsider for a long time. I guess so. Conger hesitated. A friend of mine, someone I know, might be coming through here. Where do you suppose I might? He stopped. Would there be anybody certain to see him? Someone I could ask, to make sure I don't miss him if he comes. They puzzled. Just keep your eyes open. Cooper Creek isn't very big. No, that's right. They drove in silence. Conger studied the outline of the girl. Probably she was the boy's mistress. Perhaps she was his trial wife, or had they developed trial marriage back so far. He could not remember. But surely such an attractive girl would be someone's mistress by this time. She would be sixteen or so, by her looks. He might ask her sometime, if they ever met again. The next day Conger went walking along the one main street in Cooper Creek. He passed the general store, the two filling stations, and then the post office. At the corner was a soda fountain. He stopped. Laura was sitting inside, talking to the clerk. She was laughing, rocking back and forth. Conger pushed the door open. Warm air rushed around him. Laura was drinking hot chocolate with whipped cream. She looked up in surprise as he slid into the seat beside her. I beg your pardon, he said. Am I intruding? No, she shook her head. Her eyes were large and dark. Not at all. The clerk came over. What do you want? Conger looked at the chocolate. Same as she has. Laura was watching Conger, her arms folded, elbows on the counter. She smiled at him. By the way, you don't know my name. Laura Hunt. She was holding out her hand. He took it awkwardly, not knowing what to do with it. Conger is my name, he muttered. Conger? Is that your last or first name? Last or first? He hesitated. Last. Omar Conger. Omar, she laughed. That's like the poet, Omar Khayyam. I don't know of him. I know very little of poets. We restore very few works of art. Usually only the church has been interested enough. He broke off. She was staring. He flushed. Where I come from, he finished. The church? Which church do you mean? The church. He was confused. The chocolate came and he began to sip it gratefully. Laurel was still watching him. You're an unusual person, she said. Bill didn't like you, but he never likes anything different. He's so, so prosaic. Don't you think that when a person gets older he should become broadened in his outlook? Conger nodded. He says foreign people ought to stay where they belong, not come here. But you're not so foreign. He means Orientals, you know. Conger nodded. The screen door opened behind them. Bill came into the room. He stared at them. Well, he said. Conger turned. Hello. Well, Bill sat down. Hello, Laura. He was looking at Conger. I didn't expect to see you here. Conger tensed. He could feel the hostility of the boy. Something wrong with that? No, nothing wrong with it. There was silence. Suddenly Bill turned to Laura. Come on, let's go. Go, she said astonished. Why? Just go, he grabbed her hand. Come on, the car's outside. Why, Bill Willett, she said, you're jealous. Who is this guy, Bill said. Do you know anything about him? Look at him, his beard. She flared. So what? Just because he doesn't drive a Packard or go to Cooper High? Conger sized the boy up. He was big, big and strong. Probably he was part of some civil control organization. Sorry, Conger said. I'll go. 
"'What's your business in town?' Bill asked. "'What are you doing here? Why are you hanging around Laura?' Conger looked at the girl. He shrugged. "'No reason. I'll see you later.' He turned away and froze. Bill had moved. Conger's finger went to his belt. Half pressure, he whispered to himself. No more. Half pressure. He squeezed. The room leapt around him. He himself was protected by the lining of his clothing, the plastic sheathing inside. My God! Laura put her hands up. Conger cursed. He hadn't meant any of it for her, but it would wear off. There was only a half amp to it. It would tingle. Tingle and paralyze. He walked out the door without looking back. He was almost to the corner when Bill came slowly out, holding onto the wall like a drunken man. Conger went on. As Conger walked, restless in the night, a form loomed in front of him. He stopped, holding his breath. Who is it? A man's voice came. Conger waited, tense. Who is it? The man said again. He clicked something in his hand. A light flashed. Conger moved. It's me, he said. Who is me? Conger is my name. I'm staying at the Appleton's place. Who are you? The man came slowly up to him. He was wearing a leather jacket. There was a gun at his waist. I'm Sheriff Duff. I think you're the person I want to talk to. You were in Bloom's today, about three o'clock? Bloom's? The fountain, where the kids hang out. Duff came up beside him, shining his light into Conger's face. Conger blinked. Turn that thing away, he said. A pause. All right. The light flickered to the ground. You were there. Some trouble broke out between you and the Willet boy. Is that right? You had a beef over his girl? We had a discussion, Conger said carefully. Then what happened? Why? I'm just curious. They say you did something. Did something? Did what? I don't know. That's what I'm wondering. They saw a flash, and something seemed to happen. They all blacked out. Couldn't move. How are they now? All right. There was silence. Well, Duff said, what was it? A bomb? A bomb? Conger laughed. No, my cigarette lighter caught fire. There was a leak, and the fuel ignited. Why did they all pass out? Fumes. Silence. Conger shifted, waiting. His fingers moved slowly toward his belt. The sheriff glanced down. He grunted. If you say so, he said. Anyhow, there wasn't any real harm done. He stepped back from Conger. And that Willet is a troublemaker. Good night, then, Conger said. He started past the sheriff. One more thing, Mr. Conger, before you go. You don't mind if I have a look at your identification, do you? No, not at all. Conger reached into his pocket. He held his wallet out. The sheriff took it and shined his flashlight on it. Conger watched, breathing slowly. They had worked hard on the wallet, studying historical documents, relics of the time, all the papers they felt would be relevant. Duff handed it back. Okay. Sorry to bother you. The light winked out. When Conger reached the house, he found the Appletons sitting around the television set. They did not look up as he came in. He lingered at the door. Can I ask you something? he said. Mrs. Appleton turned slowly. Can I ask you, what's the date? The date, she studied him, the first of December. December first? Why, it was just November. They were all looking at him. Suddenly he remembered. In the twentieth century they still used the old twelve-month system. November fed directly into December. There was no quatrember between them. He gasped. Then it was tomorrow. The second of December, tomorrow. Thanks, he said. Thanks. He went up the stairs. What a fool he was, forgetting. The founder had been taken into captivity on the second of December, according to the newspaper records. Tomorrow, only twelve hours hence. 
the founder would appear to speak to the people and then be dragged away the day was warm and bright conger's shoes crunched the melting crust of snow on he went through the trees heavy with white he climbed a hill and strode down the other side sliding as he went he stopped to look around everything was silent there was no one in sight he brought a thin rod from his waist and turned the handle of it for a moment nothing happened then there was a shimmering in the air the crystal cage appeared and settled slowly down conger sighed it was good to see it again after all it was his only way back he walked on up the ridge he looked around with some satisfaction his hands on his hips hudson's field was spread out all the way to the beginning of town it was bare and flat covered with a thin layer of snow here the founder would come here he would speak to them and here the authorities would take him only he would be dead before they came he would be dead before he even spoke conger returned to the crystal globe he pushed through the door and stepped inside he took the slam gun from the shelf and screwed the bolt into place it was ready to go ready to fire for a moment he considered should he have it with him no it might be hours before the founder came and suppose someone approached him in the meantime when he saw the founder coming toward the field then he could go and get the gun conger looked toward the shelf there was a neat plastic package he took it down and unwrapped it he held the skull in his hands turning it over in spite of himself a cold feeling rushed through him this was a man's skull the skull of the founder who was still alive who would come here this day who would stand on the field not fifty yards away what if he could see this his own skull yellow and eroded two centuries old would he still speak would he speak if he could see the grinning aged skull what would there be for him to say to tell the people what message could he bring what action would not be futile when a man could look upon his own aged yellow skull better they should enjoy their temporary lives while they still had them to enjoy a man who could hold his own skull in his hands would believe in few causes few movements rather he would preach the opposite a sound conger dropped the skull back on the shelf and took up the gun outside something was moving he went quickly to the door his heart beating was it he was it the founder wandering by himself in the cold looking for a place to speak was he meditating over his words choosing his sentences what if he could see what conger had held he pushed the door open the gun raised laura he stared at her she was dressed in a wool jacket and boots her hands in her pockets a cloud of steam came from her mouth and nostrils her breast was rising and falling silently they looked at each other at last conger lowered the gun what is it he said what are you doing here she pointed she did not seem able to speak he frowned what was wrong with her what is it he said what do you want he looked in the direction she pointed i don't see anything they're coming they who who are coming they are the police during the night the sheriff had the state police send cars all around everywhere blocking the roads there's about sixty of them coming some from town some from behind she stopped gasping they said they said what they said you were some kind of a communist they said conger went into the cage he put the gun down on the shelf and came back out he leapt down and went to the girl thanks you came here to tell me you didn't believe it no i don't I don't know did you come alone no Joe brought me in his truck from town Joe who's he Joe French the plumber he's a friend of my dad's let's go they crossed the snow up the ridge and onto the field the little panel truck was parked halfway across the field a heavy short man was sitting behind the wheel smoking his pipe he sat up when he saw the two of them coming toward him 
Are you the one? he said to Conger. Yes, thanks for warning me. The plumber shrugged. I don't know anything about this. Laura said you're all right. He turned around. It might interest you to know that some more of them are coming. Not to warn you, just curious. More of them? Conger looked toward the town. Black shapes were picking their way across the snow. People from the town. You can't keep this sort of thing quiet, not in a small town. We all listen to the police radio. They heard the same way Laura did. Someone tuned it in, spread it around. The shapes were getting closer. Conger could make out a couple of them. Bill Willett was there, and some boys from the high school. The Appletons were along, hanging back in the rear. Even Ed Davis, Conger murmured. The storekeeper was toiling into the field with three or four other men from the town. All curious as hell, French said. Well, I guess I'm going back to town. I don't want my truck shot full of holes. Come on, Laura. She looked at Conger wide-eyed. Come on, French said. Let's go. You sure as hell can't stay here, you know. Why? There may be shooting. That's what they all came to see. You know that, don't you, Conger? Yes. You have a gun? Or you don't care? French smiled a little. They picked up a lot of people in their time, you know. You won't be lonely. He cared all right. He had to stay here, on the field. He couldn't afford to let them take him away. Any minute the founder would appear, would step into the field. Would he be one of the townsmen, standing silently at the foot of the field, waiting, watching? Or perhaps he was Joe French. Or maybe one of the cops. Any one of them might find himself moved to speak, and the few words spoken this day were going to be important for a long time. And Conger had to be there, ready when the first word was uttered. I care, he said. You go back to town. Take the girl with you. Laura got stiffly in beside Joe French. The plumber started up the motor. Look at them standing there, he said, like vultures, waiting to see somebody get killed. The truck drove away, Laura sitting stiffly and silently, frightened now. Conger watched for a moment. Then he dashed back into the woods behind the trees, toward the ridge. He could get away, of course. Any time he wanted, he could get away. All he had to do was leap into the crystal cage and turn the handles. But he had a job, an important job. He had to be here, here, at this place, at this time. He reached the cage and opened the door. He went inside and picked up the gun from the shelf. The slim gun would take care of them. He notched it up to full count. The chain reaction from it would flatten them all. The police, the curious, sadistic people. They wouldn't take him. Before they got him, all of them would be dead. He would get away. He would escape. By the end of the day, they would all be dead, if that is what they wanted, and he... He saw the skull. Suddenly he put the gun down. He picked up the skull. He turned the skull over. He looked at the teeth. Then he went to the mirror. He held the skull up, looking in the mirror. He pressed the skull against his cheek. Beside his own face, the grinning skull leered back at him, beside his skull, against his living flesh. He bared his teeth, and he knew. It was his own skull that he held. He was the one who would die. He was the founder. After a time, he put the skull down. For a few moments, he stood at the controls, playing with them idly. He could hear the sounds of motors outside, the muffled noise of men. Should he go back to the present where the speaker waited? He could escape, of course. Escape? He turned toward the skull. There it was, his skull, yellow with age. Escape? Escape when he had held it in his own hands? What did it matter if he put it off a month, a year, ten years, even fifty? Time was nothing. He had sipped chocolate with a girl born a hundred and fifty years before his time. Escape? For a little while, perhaps. But he could not really escape, no more so than anyone else ever escaped, or ever would. Only he had held it in his hands, his own bones, his own death's head. They had not. He went out the door and across the field, empty-handed. There were a lot of them standing around, gathered together, waiting. 
They expected a good fight. They knew he had something. They had heard about the incident at the fountain. And there were plenty of police. Police with guns and tear gas, creeping across the hills and ridges, between the trees, closer and closer. It was an old story in this century. One of the men tossed something at him. It fell in the snow by his feet. He looked down. It was a rock. He smiled. Come on, one of them called. Don't you have any bombs? Throw a bomb. You with the beard, throw a bomb. Let them have it. Toss a few A-bombs. They began to laugh. He smiled. He put his hands on his hips. They suddenly turned silent, seeing that he was going to speak. I'm sorry, he said simply. I don't have any bombs. You're mistaken. There was a flurry of murmuring. I have a gun, he went on, a very good one, made by science more advanced than your own. But I'm not going to use that either. They were puzzled. Why not, someone called. At the edge of the group, an older woman was watching. He felt a sudden shock. He had seen her before. Where? He remembered the day at the library. As he had turned the corner, he had seen her. She had noticed him and been astounded. At the time, he did not understand why. Conger grinned. So he would escape death, the man who right now was voluntarily accepting it. They were laughing, laughing at a man who had a gun but didn't use it. But by a twist of science, he would appear again, a few months later, after his bones had been buried under the floor of a jail. And so, in a fashion, he would escape death. He would die, but then, after a period of months, he would live again, briefly, for an afternoon. An afternoon, yet long enough for them to see him, to understand that he was still alive, to know that somehow he had returned to life. And then, finally, he would appear once more, after two hundred years had passed. Two centuries later, he would be born again, born, as a matter of fact, in a small trading village on Mars. He would grow up, learning to hunt and trade. The police car came to the edge of the field and stopped. People retreated a little. Conger raised his hands. I have an odd paradox for you, he said. Those who will take lives will lose their own. Those who kill will die. But he who gives his own life away will live again. They laughed, faintly, nervously. The police were coming out, walking toward him. He smiled. He had said everything he intended to say. It was a good little paradox he had coined. They would puzzle over it, remember it. Smiling, Conger awaited the death foreordained. End of The Skull by Philip K. Dick